The Bible says there, likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Tonight, I'm going to take verse 32 there. Remember Lot's wife. And that's the title of the message this evening. Remember Lot's wife. Let's pray. God, I pray tonight you'd help us to be focused on uh, your word. Lord, I, I know some, no doubt, got a nap this afternoon and, and they're rested and ready to go. Others, Lord, have been running hard and, Lord, didn't have a chance to rest. And, Lord, their mind might be fatigued, their body might be tired. Lord, I pray you'd help uh, them as well to be able to stay focused in on exactly what you have for us. Lord, I pray that our trip to church tonight would not be uh, vanity, would not be a waste of time, in that we come, we sit, we listen, and we leave unchanged. Lord, I pray that tonight we'd listen, and uh, God, you'd work in our hearts and our lives, help us to see the truths here in front of us, and Lord, uh, to be moved by them and changed in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Here in Luke chapter 17, the Pharisees came to Jesus and asked him this question. They wanted to know when the kingdom of God would come. Um, if you know the Pharisees, every question they asked was loaded. They had an ulterior motive in mind, and they were seeking to trip up Christ. Um, I don't know that that was the case here. I don't know. The Bible doesn't go into great detail, at least in this particular uh, account of it. But I have, a, I have a running theory. I think that maybe the, the Pharisees uh, maybe had a run-in with uh, their Roman leaders, and they, at the moment, were very frustrated uh, that they did not have their own political freedom, that they weren't free from a political sense. And so they went to Jesus thinking, well, maybe somehow, possibly, he knows when the kingdom is going to come and we'll have our freedom. Uh, the Pharisees were frustrated. This much I know for sure. The Pharisees were frustrated along with all of the rest of Israel that they had to answer to Rome and that they were not their own sovereign political country. Uh, many of the Jews, they could not accept Jesus as the Christ they could not accept Jesus as the Messiah because they were not looking for the coming Messiah to be a spiritual redeemer. They were looking for the Messiah to come and be a political redeemer. They wanted the Messiah to come in on a white horse and, and rescue them from political bondage. Jesus was there to establish His spiritual kingdom. The first time He came. The next time He comes, He'll be here to establish His political kingdom. But that was not his motive in the first trip, but that was nonetheless what they what they wanted. You may remember when Peter said to him, uh, no, you can't die. You you're you got to be the one that leads us into political freedom. And Jesus looked at him and said, "Get thee behind me, Satan." He said, "You're not going to tempt me with that. I did not come to bring political freedom this time. I came to bring spiritual salvation and redemption not only to Israel but the rest of the world." World Look down with me at Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. You see here the Pharisees asking Jesus 
And Jesus gives a very short answer. It says there in verse 20, And when He was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, He answered and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, this passage has baffled, confused, caused great discussion amongst theologians for many, many years. Uh, But let me just sum it up this way. Jesus was speaking over the top of their heads and He was doing it on purpose. Jesus was letting them know, I'm smarter than you. You cannot confuse me. You can't bring me a question. And He gave them an answer that would cause them to go back and go, what did that even mean? What did that even mean? Uh, this was not meant for us to sit around and debate it for, for centuries and, and, and sit down and, and, and discuss what did He mean when He said the kingdom of God is within you. Now, I read some comments about this in preparation for the message this week. And uh, uh, there's different ways the word within can be used. And, and the, the world of God is among you is another way it, it could have been translated. I'm not saying that that, uh, that is, or rather the word within at times means among you. And Jesus was among them. Could that be what He meant? It could be. I don't really know. And I'll be honest with you, I don't really care. Because as you go, Jesus takes His disciples and leaves the Pharisees. And then Jesus goes on to explain in great detail what He meant. You say, why didn't He tell, explain it to the Pharisees? Because the Pharisees really never believed in Him. The Pharisees were rejecting Him, and the Pharisees were simply trying to entangle Him in His words. And Jesus wasn't going to fall in any sort of trap. Look down with me at verse number 26. Jesus gives the disciples much more about what He meant, and goes into details about the rapture. It says there, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the days that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus here is trying to take two biblical accounts, we'll look at the second one here in a minute, two biblical accounts that they were familiar with that they knew and help them to explain how quick and sudden this was going to happen. And the first one he pointed to was Noah. He said they were in their houses, they were eating, they were drinking, there were marriages going on, uh, everything was hunky-dory, everything was great, and all of a sudden this wet stuff started to fall out of the sky for the first time. And the next thing they knew... The next thing they knew, they were underwater and they were dead. Look down at verse 28. Jesus gives another story that the disciples would have been very, very familiar with. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Now, this isn't necessarily referring to uh, uh, Christ coming back and setting up His political kingdom, per se. This is, I believe, speaking of the account of the rapture where Jesus steps in the clouds and boom, the people are gone and they're taken up. We know the rapture happens before the second kingdom. There's the rapture, there's the seven years of tribulation, and then after the seven years of tribulation, Jesus comes back and He establishes His kingdom. And Jesus was saying, it's going to happen as quick as the lightning in the sky. You find otherwise in this passage is that just as the lightning happens in the sky, that's how quick this, the, 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 the rapture is going to take place. Jesus will step down on the clouds and the people will be caught up and gathered away. The trumpet will sound and we'll be caught up, we'll be gathered away. Uh, the Bible says it'll be as fast as the twinkling of an eye. How fast can you?
What's the fastest you can blink your eye? That's the speed in which we'll be caught up out of here. The floods, uh, uh, the flood came when almost no one was expecting it. You know, the only person that was expecting this, the only person that was expecting this was Noah. No one else was expecting it. In fact, everyone mocked Noah. When fire and brimstone fell on Sodom and Gomorrah, when they were, they were eating and drinking and going about their commerce, no one was expecting fire and brimstone to fall out of the sky. By way of introduction, I'll give you two thoughts about the coming of Christ. Christ's coming will be sudden. Number one, sudden. Um, it, it's not expected. In fact, the Bible tells us that only, only the Father knows the day and hour in which Jesus will return. Jesus will step out on the clouds and, and, and He's going to go when His Father tells Him. It's going to be sudden. Let me just say to you this evening that there are these false prophets out there and they're trying to come up with when Jesus is going to return and the year He's going to return. Listen, it's a waste of your time. Waste of your time. Now, back in 1988, there was a book put out entitled 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. How many of you remember that book? Guess what? It's past 1988 and Jesus didn't come back. The funny thing was, the next year the same author put out another book. 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1989. If you're foolish enough to buy the first book, you're even, you're even more foolish if you bought the second book. There's a man by the name of Harold Camping who uh, is from the Baltimore area. Uh, Harold Camping has predicted, or had rather predicted several times, several dates he believed Jesus would return, and he was wrong every time. Listen, if Jesus himself doesn't know the day or hour, what are you doing trying to predict the day or the hour? Let me just say this, more, this evening that it's going to be sudden. He's going to step out in the cloud, the trumpet's going to blow, the dead will go first, and the, uh, those of us which are alive and remain will be caught up in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be sudden. You say, Pastor, when's it going to be? You know what? I don't know, but you and I need to live our life every day like it's going to happen right now. Right now. Listen, keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with others. Forgive others and keep things clear. Why? Because the coming back of our Lord, it's going to be sudden. He's going to come like a thief in the night. The second thing I know to hear, Christ's coming will be revealing. It will be revealing. Unfortunately, there are many people who go to church, who go to good churches, who go to churches like this one. They know how to dress the part. They know how to talk the part. They know how to act the part. When the rapture happens, they're going to be left behind. They're going to be left behind. Let me ask you a question tonight, Christian. Jesus stepped out on the clouds right now and blew that trumpet. I believe most of this church would go. But would you? Would you? Would you be left sitting in this room with a bunch of piles of clothes? Would you stumble out of here scared out of your mind? My friend, when he comes, you can't fool him. You can't fool him. You can fool me. You can fool the deacons. They're pretty easy to fool, amen? You can fool the assistant pastors. They're real easy to fool. (laughs) Just kidding, guys. But you can't fool the Lord. He sees your heart. He sees your heart. Some of you here tonight, is it possible that there's somebody here tonight that isn't saved? They've not put their faith and trust in Christ. And you are scared to death to make that decision. 
because of what everybody else would think. You going to let me send you to hell? You going to let the person sitting in the pew next to you send you to hell? Are you that concerned? Listen, if if Brother Verone were to walk the aisle tonight and get saved, you know what I'd do? I'd go give him a big hug. Go give him a big hug. I, I believe you're saved, Brother Verone. I believe you're saved. I've heard of pastors' wives that have gotten saved. I've heard of missionaries that have gotten saved. I've heard of pastors that have gotten saved. Playing the game. Really good at playing the game. They know the lingo. Listen, when Christ comes back, It's going to be a very revealing time. It's going to be a lot of so-called Christians who are left to look at themselves in the mirror and realize it was never real. It was all a game. Look down with me at verse 32 of Luke 17. Jesus is talking here about using, again, using Sodom and Gomorrah as an illustration about how sudden this is going to be. How revealing this is going to be. And right in the middle of his illustration, he just utters three words and it goes right back to what he's talking about. Look at verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. And then just goes right back on what he's talking about. Remember Lot's wife. God drops a very loaded statement right into the middle of his sermon and then just moves right on along with what he was, with what he was teaching. This evening, I'd say if Christ has admonished us to remember Lot's wife, then maybe we should take a look at who Mrs. Lot was and what we can learn from her life. You know what wisdom is in part? We talked about wisdom last Sunday night. You know what wisdom is in part? It's learning from other people's mistakes so that you don't make them. How many believe that? Learning from other people's mistakes. Now, if God has given us a book full of people who made foolish decisions then don't you think we should learn from those foolish decisions so that we don't repeat them? Amen? And so if he says, hey, remember Lot's wife, maybe we should study who Lot's wife was and we should prevent from making those same mistakes. Let's uh, look at five observations out of the book of Genesis this evening and try to understand the mistakes that she made so that we do not repeat them. Point number one of the message is this, her privilege. Her privilege. Lot's wife, she was a privileged gal. In fact, you stop and think about it, she was way more privileged than most women in her time. In fact, she was up there amongst the top 1% of all of, all of the whole world that she lived in. Uh, I read this from a preacher this week, and I want to read it to you verbatim. Please intent, intently follow along with me here. The preacher said this, he said, When Abraham first received the promises, Lot's wife was probably there. When he built this tent between Ai and Bethel, she was probably there. When the angels came to Sodom and warned her husband to flee, she saw them. When they took them by the hand and led them out of the city, she was one of those who was helped to escape. Once more I say, these were no small privileges. No small privileges. Listen, she was put in a spot where she was exposed to more truth than most other people that lived on the planet. But my friend, privilege is not good enough to take you to heaven. 
Privilege is not good enough to give you what you want and take you where you need to go. You may be here this evening, you think that because of your privilege that you are guaranteed a home in heaven. You say, Pastor, I've been born in the United States of America and I believe that to be the greatest country on this planet. Surely that means that I'm going to heaven. And my friend, I would tell you this, I'm thankful you've been born in this great land, but being an American does not take you to heaven. You say, Pastor, I was born to religious parents. My parents took me to church at a young age and my parents are devoted to God and they love or loved God. And surely because my parents were religious, that means that I'm going to heaven. I'm a privileged person and I'm here today to tell you that you cannot get into heaven based on your parents' religion. You say, Pastor, I was raised in church from the time I was a small child. Surely because I've gone to church my whole life, that means I'm going to heaven. And I would say this, just because you go to church, that doesn't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in a garage makes you a car. You don't get into church because you were raised in church. Others of you here say, but pastor, I've been a member of this church for 85 years and surely that means I'm going to heaven. God is not going to check your church membership when you get to the other side and look at that and say you were a member at White Oak Baptist Church so that gives you access to heaven. My friend, I don't care if you go to the Baptist Church, the Catholic Church, the Presbyterian Church. I don't care if you go to the Church of the Martians. That is not going to take you to heaven. You say, what's going to get me into heaven, Pastor? It has nothing to do with your privileges. You say, but Pastor, I've been involved in church ministry. I've taught Sunday school for years. I've worked in the nursery. I've sang in the choir. I I tithe. I did all these things. Pastor, I'm a privileged, privileged, privileged person. And I would say, just like Mrs. Lot. And God told us, remember Lot's wife. Tonight I'm here to tell you that there was a man who was born 2,000 years ago. He was born, around 2,000 years ago, he was born in the country of Israel. He began his earthly ministry at the age of 30 or so, around the age of 30. He had a three-year public ministry. During his time, he healed the sick, he touched the lame, he, gave, uh, he, he most likely gave hearing to the deaf and sight to the blind. His name began with the letter J. His name is five letters long, but his name is not Jesus. His name is Judas. Just because you are privileged, my friend, that privilege is not going to get you anywhere. There are people who grow up on this planet, who grow up in a home that does not believe in the name of Jesus. They grow up and they hardly ever hear the name of Jesus unless it's in a negative tone. They have not been given the privileges that you have. Just because you're privileged and they're not, my friend, you will both, if you're not careful, split hell wide open just the same. It's not about privilege. It's about a choice to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Joab was David's captain. Gehazi was Elisha's servant. Demas was Paul's companion. Judas Iscariot was Christ's disciple. And Lot had a worldly, unbelieving wife. And what do all those people have in common? They had privilege, but most of them did not have salvation. Tonight I'm here to tell you that if you're uh, sitting amongst us, You've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you. Tonight it's time to stop playing a game. You say, but pastor, what are they going to think about me? Listen, if they're worth their salt, they'll love you. They'll throw their arms around you. They'll pray for you. Don't you let a single person in this room or a single person in this world be what keeps you from going to heaven. You get yourself down here at this altar tonight. You grab hold of one of the deacons or the pastors or a lady or, or a man in the church that you trust and you have them walk through, you through the Romans road and you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you tell God, I'm tired of playing a game. I'm ready to settle this once and for all. 
I wonder how many Baptists are going to go to hell someday. Baptists who sat on a pew. Baptists who heard the gospel week after week after week. And they had a head knowledge right here. They knew it all right here. But they never believed it right here with their heart. Brother uh, Verone and I went out soul winning this past Wednesday. We met a couple of men who, uh, at least one of them, very well knew the gospel. And we got back in the car and, and Brother Verone made the comment to me. He said, I believe that they've been exposed to so much of the truth with a little bit of error mixed in that they have become inoculated, inoculated to the gospel. You know, when you go get the flu shot, they give you a little bit of the flu, right? And so that you don't get the flu, just a little bit, just a little bit. Some of you have heard the gospel over and over and over again. But my friend, I would ask you this. Look deep down in your heart. Now, I'm not trying to get anybody to question their salvation here. If you put your faith and trust in Christ, you're saved. You're going to heaven. But you know if you've been playing a game. My friend, you know if this has all been a game. Don't be Lot's wife. Don't be Lot's wife. Don't live off privilege and expect God to let you in. Doesn't matter who your parents are. Doesn't matter what your church membership lies. It doesn't matter uh, uh, what social class you run in. Doesn't matter the name of the church you attend. It's got to be a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Number one, we see her privilege. Number two, we see her passion. Her passion. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 13. The rest of the sermon tonight will be in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 13. And look at me at verse number 10. Genesis chapter 13, verse 10. We're going to read down. Through verse 13, talking about her passion, what Mrs. Lot would have been passionate about. Now, I'm going to say that uh, some of the message tonight will be speculatory because the Bible doesn't go into great detail about what her passions were, per se, and some of the other things. But I believe you can put enough of the puzzle together and look at it from the outside and get a pretty good idea of maybe what uh, some of the sin in her heart very well may have been. Look down at verse 10. The Bible says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plains. Notice this, and pitched his tent, pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. If you mark in your Bibles, would you underline that phrase, and pitched his tent toward Sodom? And pitched his tent toward Sodom? Let me just say this evening that there came a point in time where nephew Lot and Uncle Abraham, they both had grown in wealth and possessions and cattle and, 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 and herdsmen, and there, there was just not enough space for the two of them to dwell together. It was time for them to split up. It was time for nephew Lot to leave Uncle Abraham's home and become his own man. And there was nothing wrong with the split per se in and of itself. Abraham allowed Lot to choose which direction he would go. Would he go toward Canaan or would he go toward the well-watered plains of Jordan? And, and, and Lot and Abraham stood there and, Abraham, and Lot said, I'll go toward the, the well-watered plains of Jordan. I'll take that. And Abraham said, okay, I'll go toward Canaan. Let me say this evening, there was nothing wrong with Lot choosing the well-watered plains of Jordan. There was nothing at all wrong with that. Had he gone to the well-watered plains of Jordan and allowed his cattle to feast there in those pastures and he would have pitched his tent the right direction, everything would have been fine. You say, Pastor, where did Lot go wrong? You see, my friend, Lot, Lot, as he went into that plain and his cattle grazed, his herdmen washed over the cattle, Lot had a choice which direction he was going to set up his tent. 
Lot could have pitched the tent door away from the sin of Sodom. But instead, he decided to set his tent up where every day he walked out, the first thing he saw was the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. There they looked. And the Bible says those cities were filled with wicked, wicked men. Why did they pitch their tent towards Sodom? You know why? Because from the very moment they landed in the plain, they wanted to live there. They looked out and they said, we want the city life. We want their life. We want what they have. You know, I have to believe that Mrs. Lot played a role in the decision of which direction the tent went up. You see, the Bible tells us that that Lot was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. We don't have that saying about Lot's wife. Now, I'm not going to sit here tonight and tell you whether or not Lot's wife's in heaven or hell. I don't know that. But I will say this, is that Lot's wife was not a godly woman. That tent was pitched towards Sodom. Some of you tonight, you're pitching your proverbial tent in the wrong direction. My friend, there's nothing wrong with you living in the world. But it is dangerous to let the world live in you. And you're looking at sin. And you're not participating in it, but you're looking at it. And you're looking at it. And you're looking at it. And you're looking at it. Do you remember the story of Achan? The Bible says that he saw the goodly Babylonian garment. He saw the, the gold and the silver. He saw it, then he wanted it, then he took it. It all began when he feasted his eyes on the wrong things. And my friends, some of you tonight are looking at the wrong things and you're becoming passionate about the wrong things. You say, Pastor, how can I tell if I'm like Mrs. Lot and my passions are out of line? Let me help you understand uh, what you're passionate about. I'm just going to get right down to brass tacks tonight. How, how do you know what you're passionate about? You know, I can tell you what you're passionate about. If you will bring in your checkbook and you will show me what you spend your money on, I can show you what you're passionate about. Show me where you spend this right here, and I will show you what you're passionate about. Is it food? You eat it out all the time? Is it coffee? You're always stopping to buy it at five bucks? I didn't say Starbucks, I said five bucks. <laughs> it's hard to get out of that place for under five bucks. I got that one from Pastor Dave. I gotta give credit where it's due. I, I'm sure he got it somewhere else. Um, but five bucks? Are you spending money on movies? Are you spending money on a cable package? Are you spending money on, on your animals? Are you spending money on uh, 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 fill in the blank? Listen, spending money on some of these things isn't a sin. But if your finances are more geared toward secularism and sin, then there's a problem there. What's the Bible tell us in Matthew 6? Where your treasure is, finish it with me, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There will your heart be also. You know what was wrong with Mrs. Lot? Her passions were wrong. She got passionate about living in Sodom. Living in Sodom. Point number one of the message, say it out loud with me. Number one, her privilege. Number two, her passion. Number three, her possessions. Her possessions. Letter A, she possessed a title. Look down with me at Genesis chapter 19 and verse number one. Genesis chapter 19 and verse number one. The Bible says, and there came two angels of Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. Look at that. Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot seeing them rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And here come the angels to usher Lot and his wife and his family out of Sodom. And where do they find Lot? They find him sitting in the gate 
of the city. Now, why is that significant? If you've read your Bible through or you've studied your Bible much, you know that it was a custom in the Old Testament that if you sat in the gate of the city, that you were a judge of that city. You held political position within that city. Lot, what happened? He pitched his tent towards Sodom. And I think maybe the the girls, he had four daughters, I think maybe one day the girls and the wife came to Lot and said, hey, can we take a vacation? And Lot said, boy, that sounds fun. We can leave the herdsmen in charge of everything. Where do you guys want to go? Let's go to Sodom. Let's check it out. Let's go stay in a hotel. Let's go see the attractions. Man, they, they got six flags. Let's go. And into Sodom they went. Into Sodom they went. And what began as being a passerby turned into permanent residence. Turned into position. Position. The Bible says they went to sojourn. Sojourn means to pass through. And then they stayed. They stayed. My friend, sin will take you farther than, than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you a whole lot more than you want to pay. You say, I've got my sin licked. Uh, sin doesn't have ownership of me. And I'd say, okay, then stop it right now. Chances are you can't. You can't. Now, you can through Christ, but you can't on your own. What happened? Mrs. Lot got in there. And her husband got a title. Mrs. Lot walked around town and she was viewed as, ooh, the judge Lot's wife. There she goes. There she goes in that pretty dress. There she goes with that fancy handbag. There she goes walking into that store that only the finest customers shop at. No doubt she enjoyed lavish banquets. She enjoyed the VIP treatment as her husband was somewhat of a town politician. People in life fight very, very hard to get a title. In fact, some people will even go as far as selling their very soul to the devil if it means they can just get hold of a little bit of fame. And I would say to you tonight, do you really want the fame? you really want the fame? I want people to know who I am. I want notoriety. I want clout. I want to be viewed a particular way. I want to climb the ladder at work. I want to climb the ladder in society. I want people to know who I am. We fight and we scratch and we claw so that when we die, people will know our names. Only to be forgotten just a few more later years later in history than most. You know, the people today that live, that have, they're, they're millionaires and, and are big famous names. You know, in a hundred years, no one's going to even know who their names are. And if you know who their names are, do you know in a thousand years, no one will know who their names are? How many know the name D.L. Moody? Raise your hand if you know the name D.L. Moody. You know why you know his name? Because you go to church. Go into Walmart tomorrow and stop ten people that are wearing pajama pants. I got me a pair of pajama pants to go to Walmart in. Amen. I want to fit in like everybody else. That's not true. That's not true. Smiley, smiley faces. Those are my favorite. Everybody's walking around their smiley face pajamas. There are worse emojis you could have on pajamas, I guess. Back on track. Back on track. <laughs> go to Walmart, find ten people, and ask them this. Who is Dwight L. Moody? They're going to let you like, ah, ah, ah. Does he play for the White Sox? They're not going to know. They're not going to know. You fight and you scratch and you claw so that you can have a name and a title. 
No one's going to know who you are in a hundred years. No one's going to care about that. The truth is, only a handful of you even know your great-grandparents. You'll, uh, only a handful of you even know their names. Some of them are famous. And if you know their names, you couldn't write down more than a couple facts about their life. We scratch and we claw for a title. Mrs. Lott, boy, she enjoyed that title. She enjoyed that title. You know, I look at people who have earned fame, and I see how miserable many of them are. I think of uh, back to my teen years when Britney Spears was the new hot commodity in the singing world. I remember in my early 20s, she shaved her head bald and checked herself into a rehab clinic because she was a drug addict and miserable in life. And I've watched... I've watched famous person after famous person after famous person fight bouts of depression and go through divorces and have much pain in their heart. Being famous isn't all it's cracked up to be. Her possessions, she possessed a title. Letter B, she possessed things. She possessed things. Early in Genesis 19, we see that they had bought a home. Uh, the, the, the angels come into the town and Lot, the judge, gathers them up and, and compels them, strongly encourages them to sleep in, excuse me, sleep in his home. Sleep in his home. They had, they had bought a home. They had bought a home. In the middle of the chapter, we see that the two, that two of his daughters had married. So, not only was Lot and his wife living in a home, they had put down roots. Two of their daughters had married men, and no doubt they owned homes. And inside those homes, there was fine furniture, and there was lavish goods, there was plates and cups and bowls. There were nice things that they had grown attached to. They owned things. And when the time came where the angel grabbed Mrs. Lot by the hand, and led her away. Led her away. No doubt, part of the pain was leaving her title that she held. And part of the pain was leaving behind all of the mahogany furniture and all the goods and all the possessions that she had stockpiled. Tonight, I'm not here to tell you that you're wrong for owning material goods. In fact, we need material goods to make it through life. My friend, some people... They don't use material goods to get through life. They live for material goods. I heard someone illustrate it this way. Let's say that my family and your family took a vacation together. We were going to go uh, to Hawaii for a week. And we go to Hawaii and we get settled in a nice three-star, four-star hotel room. And, and, uh, and I come by your room the next day and I knock on your door and I say, you're ready to go? And as, as you're opening the door for me, here comes a carpet company. And here comes a fine art gallery company. And, and here comes another construction company. And I say, what are you having these people come in for? Well, you know, we're only going to be here a week, but I don't like the carpet in this room. To me, it looks a little soiled. And, you know, it looks like it's probably a little more than a year or two old. We're going to have the carpet swapped out while I'm here. I think, what? We're going to be here a week! What are you doing that for? And you know what? Those paintings, they look really generic. And you know, I bet they have that same painting in every room. And we're going to get some nice, expensive art to go on this wall while we're here. And I'm thinking, what are you doing that for? Are you going to take it with you? You're not going to let you take that on the plane. No, no, no. We're going to leave it here. I, I just, you know, I don't like that, that, uh, that art that's there. We're going to swap it out. And you know what? We don't really like the paint color on the wall. We're going to swap that out. And I'm thinking, good night. What a waste of funds. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. My friend, you're stockpiling things just to leave it all behind. 
just to leave it all behind. I'm not saying catch the larger point. Catch the larger point. You're going to gather all these things together and they're going to burn up with a fervent heat one day. Her possessions. Mrs. Lott was a woman who struggled with materialism. I do believe this today. I believe fervently, fervently this evening. I believe that God wants this church to preach the gospel around the globe. And He wants us to preach it here at home. You know, to do that, it takes money. It takes money. The more money the church has, the more we can get the gospel around the globe. And I believe that here at White Oak Baptist Church, we have all the money that we need. You say, you do? The problem is it's in your pockets. It's in your pockets. And I believe that many times we're spending it on frivolous things that aren't going to matter. We're going to get to heaven one day, we're going to turn around and we're going to look back over our life and we're going to say, I wish I had done this and I wish I had done that. Can I tell you the greatest regret we're all going to have? That we all weren't more heavenly minded when it came to the souls of men. We're too caught up in buying things. My friends, Jesus is coming again. It could be today. It could be today. Are you making every effort possible to see the good news preached? Number one, say it out loud together with me again. Number one, we see her privilege. Number two, her passion. Number three, her possessions. Number four, we see her pain. Her pain. Look with me in Genesis chapter 19. And let me just say that of all the points about Mrs. Lot that I'm going to preach tonight, this one I feel the most sympathetic toward her. Look at it down at verse 12. The Bible says, And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son, son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great for the face of the Lord. And the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he, Lot, seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. What a shame. What a shame. Lot and his wife had two daughters that married secular men who would not take Lot seriously. Lot is sitting there in these men's homes, sitting on their couches. He's got sweat running down his forehead. There's a quiver in the tone of his voice. There's fear. Guys, listen. You've got to get my daughters and yourselves together and you've got to get out of town. God is going to rain down His damnation on this city. You've got to get out of here. And they looked at him and they said, <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> You're joking, right? No, 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 I'm serious. I'm dead serious. This is going to happen. And if you don't get out, you're going to die. Okay, Lot. Okay. Yeah, we've heard your religious, kooky, fanatical talk before. You know what? Yeah, why don't you go out and get some sleep? Because clearly you're sleep deprived. Get on out of here, Lot. Get on out of here, Dad. You know, when the angels grabbed Mrs. Lot by the hand and drug her out of the city, she was leaving behind two of her children. I, I can tell you as a dad, I can tell you that must have been tough. Must have been tough. Fire and brimstones falling and hitting 
your children's homes and is going to burn them up. Going to kill them in a very torturous way. And I can say this evening that I hurt for Mrs. Lott from this aspect. I bet Mrs. Lott at this point had wished, had wished, she had stuck a little bit closer to her husband's religion, her husband's faith, her pain. Why was it that Mrs. Lott would turn around and look back at the city? Well, I believe it was for many reasons, but maybe the greatest was because her children were there. Number one, we see her privilege. Number two, her passion. Number three, her possessions. Number four, her pain. Number five, we see her punishment. Look down with me at Genesis chapter 19 and verse 15. The Bible says, And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, while he lingered, they didn't want to go, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, this would be the two that weren't married, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth, and set him without the city. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee. I could preach a whole sermon out of that right there. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. The angel of God, the angel of God gave a clear command to Lot and his family. Do not look back at the city. Don't look back. When God tells you to do something, you better listen. It was very clear. I'm going to rain down my fire and brimstone on that city. Do not look back. Don't look. Don't look. Don't look. My friend, let me just say this evening really, really quick here. You've been saved from a world of sin. Don't look back. Don't look back. Don't look back to it. We talked this morning about a jealous God who hates it when we turn around and we choose sin. God doesn't want you to choose sin. God doesn't want you to go back and flirt with sin. God hated that the Israelites kept looking back to Egypt. Many Christians will look back on the good old days. My friend, if you've been saved, there are no good old days. The good old days are what God has done in your life. This evening, I'm here to tell you that Lot obeyed that command. He didn't look back. The two daughters that went with him, they obeyed. They didn't look back. But Mrs. Lot could not help herself. While Mrs. Lot's body was outside of the city, her heart was still in the city. Inside that city was her home. Inside that city was her furniture, her handbags. Inside that city was her expensive clothing. Inside that city was her notoriety. Sitting inside the city of Sodom was her cush lifestyle. Maybe most painfully, and sitting inside that city was her other two daughters. Lot's wife was told by the angel, Do not look back. Mrs. Lot disobeyed. Mrs. Lot turned and looked as her items were going up in flame and smoke. How did God punish Mrs. Lot? Let her a notice a pillar of salt. Pillar of salt. Look down with me at Genesis 19, verse 24. The Bible says there, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. 
And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities. And that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. She turned around and instantaneously, she didn't become a pile of salt. That's the best Pastor Dave could do, amen? She became a pillar of salt. God literally made a monument out of her right there. Frozen in position. Frozen with a look on her face. God said, you want to turn back and look, I'm going to turn you into a pillar of salt. Tonight, the purpose of the message is not to get into the profound, deep meanings of why He turned her into salt. Let me just say tonight, the purpose of the message is to show you that God punished Mrs. Lot for turning back and looking. God made a biblical example out of her in a very hard way because she disobeyed a direct order from God. Do not turn back and look. She turned around and looked. You know what Mrs. Lott was exposed? She was exposed as being a phony. Mrs. Lott looked the part. She played the part. She acted the part. She talked the part. Mrs. Lott was a phony. Mrs. Lott died in her hypocrisy. Mrs. Lott turned back and looked at the city as it was being destroyed. And because of her disobedience, God destroyed her. And really, this brings the sermon full circle. God said, back in Luke, He said, Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Remember how we talked about how the coming of the Lord is going to be sudden and it's going to be revealing. Lot's wife escaped the city, but Lot's wife was still exposed. My friend, God one day will reveal what's really in your heart. He's going to reveal it. It's going to reveal it. It won't be hidden. You better make sure that your heart is in tune with God and that your heart is not like Lot's wife. Let her be, we see, promiscuous daughters. Promiscuous daughters. Lot and his daughters, two daughters that were unmarried, they escaped into the mountains. They found a cave to live in. Now mom was not in the picture. This paved the way for the daughters to take mom's sins to a much deeper level. Remember this morning how we talked about the sins of the fathers being visited down to the third and fourth generation? Remember how we talked about that this morning? This would be visited on to their children. They would choose to do some very wicked things. They would commit incest with their own father, and they would become impregnated by that. Look down with me at Genesis 19, verse 36. It says there, Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. By their father. The firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab. The, se- the, the same is the father of the Moabites to this day. If you read down verse 38, the second one would become the father of the Ammonites. By the way, the Moabites and the Ammonites would be a thorn in the side of Israel. For many, many, many years. Because Mrs. Lot couldn't figure it out. Ended up ruining her daughter's lives. Now let me just be clear, it was their daughter's own choice. But mom didn't set them up to succeed very well, did she? Why, why were these children ruined? Two of them died by fire and brimstone. Two of them, two of them 
committed incest with their father, their lives were ruined. Why? Because they moved into Sodom to begin with. Christians, some of you are living in some sort of Sodom. Oh, I'm not saying the, the sin of sodomy. I'm just saying you're living amongst that, you're flirting with that, which is sin. God says it's time to stop. God says it's time to stop living like Lot's wife. My friend, Jesus is coming back at any moment. He's going to step out on the clouds. The trumpet's going to blow. It could be tonight. It could be tonight. Are you ready? Are you ready? Another way I can ask this question is this. Are you too busy decorating your hotel room? Or are you busy doing the work of the Lord? With that said, let's learn from the mistakes of those in the past. Let's make sure we learn from biblical history. And as Jesus so carefully and abruptly instructed in Luke 17, let's remember Lot's wife. And not just remember her here, but remember her through the changing of our actions in her life. Christian, tonight I'd ask you this. Are you relying on your privilege to get by? If so, it's time to cut that out. Come to the Lord. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Let Him save you. Tonight, I would ask you this. If you're saved, are you more worried about possessions and passions? Or are you more worried about the kingdom of God? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed.